All right, Chaz, welcome back to The Grit, fueled by drinkag1.com slash surf always. I think this show is going to be better than ever because I just finished my Drink AG1 slash surf and I'm feeling fit, mentally acute, or is it mentally astute? Acute, I think, well, either works, but acute would be the more appropriate, I think. That's what I'm feeling. Uh, well, we will be the judge of that. Uh, <laughs> How, how's uh, life been back at home since Cabo? Did you make your flight safely last week? Made flight safely. The wife hopped on a flight straight up to Seattle. So it's just been getting used to home life again. But yeah, kid, there's no rest for the weary here. Is Kid goes straight into five hour a day ballets right away. Wow. There's no summer break for ballet, man. That's insane. And your wife never quits either. I think your kid gets it from your wife. Yeah, just the go, go, go. Except yeah. poor wife just tarred with the with the brush of beach grit yesterday. Apparent, apparently. Me too, apparently. Jesus. <laughs> I just happened. Like, I'm like, well, before we push record, I should just see what's going on on beach grit. And so I perused the most recent articles and I was surprised to see that. Give the listeners a rundown. And is your wife depressed is she in recovery mode now how she feel about the whole thing she's in a dark dark place after the committee for equity and women's surfing put her in the crosshairs uh it's a bold war against women that the committee for equity and women's surfing has has started down the path of they really love to lower the cannon and just take women out they've gone after jesse miley dyer They've gone after Bethany Hamilton. They've gone after Kayla Kenley. And apparently yesterday it was the wife's turn uh, for, they say, for the misogynistic garbage that she writes and publishes on Beach Grit. Has she ever written anything on Beach Grit? Not one word. I went into <laughs> the users yesterday just to see if, uh, yeah, if she had ever, you know, even five years ago, 10 something, she has never written one thing on Beach Grit, uh, is probably genuinely not that pleased with everything that goes up. She, I mean, she, like, she doesn't even read Beach Grit, right? So, yeah, yeah to get the, the libel. Old surf equities got a libel case on their hands here for oh. publishing untrue things. Well, Demonstrably it, untrue. But if they're about equity, why would they be um, shaming her? I mean, they love, yeah, I don't know, because Beach Grit's misogynistic, I guess, in their but, view. I mean, But if they're about equity, then why would they be shaming Beach Grit? Even if Beach Grit is misogynistic, shouldn't they have grace for Beach Grit? Because oh, no, misogynists no. exist in the world as well. No, 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 no. Misogynists, everyone who thinks, oh. it, this, may, this point of view may surprise you, but uh, anyone who doesn't think exactly like whoever the surf equity people think, then uh, is dutifully beheaded. March I'm gonna to have the public to, square and chopped. I'm gonna have to freshen up my definition of equity. I thought it meant something else. No, no, you're wrong. Equity oh. means think exactly what I think. Oh, in the exact so. same way I think, and then you still maybe get axed, but you know, hmm. maybe we can maybe we can kind of walk on the same side together for a minute. I had it backwards all these years. It's weird. It's I feel really stupid. weird. Yeah. I mean, you should, I, I would hope that you take this moment to learn and grow and get the right definition. Yeah. I, I'll try my hardest. Um, what is surf equity? What 
is it like um a nonprofit company or are they generating so. any okay. no i think it's a nonprofit. i think they think i think that they think themselves involved in women's surfing issues like equal pay stuff and or uh like getting girls into mavericks i think they feel like they're tied in there somehow though i don't know that it actually does anything to be honest well you know what i've decided after seeing that article and also this what was whole... that picture of you by the way the picture they used of you was it was classy yeah, thank you. It was in Cuba. Nice. I know. In that brief moment of time where Cuba opened up, uh, or yeah, to the U.S., um, it was less than a year. I feel like you know, six months or nine months or something like that. You're smart to hop on that. I know. And I, the smartest part about that was I mentioned it on the podcast before going, and there had been three or four listeners who had been. One of them owns a clothing company here called uh, Cleo Bella. They're pretty big actually now, but um, they had just done a photo shoot for Cleo Bella there. So they did all of this scouting. They had been to like the best restaurants and all of this. So they ga- he gave me like this rundown of um, an itinerary for their successes, their missteps, all that sort of stuff. So I went into that five-day trip with a real solid outline for what to do, and we lived it up. It was epic. Did uh, Cuba exceed expectations? completely yeah that's awesome i'm so sad that i missed that window well it was a really interesting thing because the people of cuba were so excited to have essentially tourism but essentially tourism commerce coming to their town but the government wasn't so open to it so little it was weird little things like the airbnb lady asked us to pay her in cash instead of running it like we found her on airbnb and maybe inquired first. And she's like, hey, don't run the transaction through Airbnb. Just show up and pay me and I'll give you a better rate and stuff like that. Um, But they were very, the people of Cuba were super gracious and grateful. And it was so inexpensive. Like I think we budgeted and that you can't pull money out of the ATM there and they don't take American dollars. So you had to get Cuban currency before going. Oh, before going. And bring it with you. Okay. There was no exchanging once you're there. That's and they tough. don't and most places don't take credit cards or plastic, you know. So you really needed a plan, but we basically budgeted. It was two of us. We went for 5 days. We budgeted I think $500, like 100 bucks a day. And then we brought an additional 500 knowing like this is an emergency fund in case we get stuck there or something like that. But the advice was to budget about 100 bucks a day and you'll have plenty of money left over. So hundred bucks would cover, you know, taxi cabs, uh, bike rentals, plus food and all that sort of stuff. We drank, you know, uh, heavily, let's say a couple cocktails with each meal, maybe some wine or whatever, go to the fanciest restaurant, order appetizers, dessert, entrees, whatever bill would be less than 20 bucks. Wow. I could yeah. get there today. I know. Were you, know. were you, were you smoking a picture and drinking a Belgian ale? Like I... <laughs> Like I it's surmised. funny. No, it's that was a good guess because the picture is so the color is so bad on that picture that you can't really tell. It was a straw that I was using, okay. and it was like a daiquiri or some sort of Cuban drink. It okay. wasn't a mojito, but it was like a yeah. Some I mean, sort of all, I'm glad that you were keeping. It's always weird to me when people go to a climate or a culture and then totally go off piste with the drinks. Like yeah. it'd be like going to, I don't know. Going to London and like really insisting on drinking margaritas or exactly. yeah. going to or Mexico 
yeah. where people and, drink margaritas and, and insisting on yeah exactly like it's like it's always important i think to keep your drink culturally sensitive when in rome they say yep. exactly well hopefully the committee for equity in women surfing can go after the uh lower income females in cuba <laughs> hopefully they can really find some way to really pick those ones off you know what i've decided though after reading that article or not reading it, but <laughs> skimming it. And then also the whole Jonah Hill debacle this last week, Sarah Brady, yep. which you and I will get into. Um, I really think it's just all misunderstanding nowadays. First, I thought everybody is dumb nowadays. And then I thought about it a second further and I go, it's just misunderstanding. It's people are as dumb as they've always been, but they're spending a tiny bit less time trying to understand fellow man or fellow woman. And so they're just misunderstanding what that person is trying to say. There's an element of having no grace either for the fact that somebody might feel differently than you. And so they're so eager to jump on and, you know, attack. I hear you. It's a combination, I feel, of misunderstanding, of stupidity, misunderstanding, and then uh, a real feeling of righteousness. Also, like it's a, a bad personal, combination. Yeah, it's a, a personal, like, what you said was wrong. I'm not going to spend any time to think about it. I'm just going to pile on as much as I can. Totally. Weird. It would know. The other thing is there's no consequence. Because when I was no. young, there was consequence. If you got something wrong or you said something that was such a misunderstanding, like a willful misunderstanding of the other person's point of view, they would punch you in the face. Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, we had a wonderful commenter on the beach cut story on the one that I wrote, uh, who's from Japan. He said, this stuff doesn't happen in Japan because there's actual consequences. You can't just Mm. go tar people like this, like it, this is illegal and it doesn't even matter if it's true. Like if you're going expressly to defame somebody, then that's defamation and you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. That's fascinating. They are better people than we are, I think, in a lot of ways. They are. I mean, Um, not we are. Japanese come up later in a story, a Pros in the Wild submission that we got this week. So we'll get to that. Uh, How's your time today? Do you have to get out of here at a certain time? Okay, cool. Because we got lots of submissions, so we'll we'll run long. Uh, But the first thing is that Elo send-off following Eric Logan's departure from the WSL. Somebody wrote in to say... No doubt there will be much to say about ELO's demise and the uncertain future of the WSL. But what concerns me, however, is the rom-com moment that may or may not occur. When all is quiet and ELO's stint at the WSL has become history, what will become of our hero from Oklahoma? Will he wake up early in the quiet of his well-appointed beach home, grab his surfboard and go surfing? Just go surfing? Did surfing actually get its hooks into him? the way that it did for all of us? Was it love underneath it all? If so, I say bravo. Let him now press himself forward without the crown to face the ocean, the lineups, and whatever may come in honest jersey. I'm sorry, journey. As Chaz might say, much to consider. Mm-hmm. So, is here, the que- so the question is, do you think Elo actually ever loved surfing or was it all just a charade? I mean, the thing is, gonna, that's a great question, to Isn't be honest. It? I think so. It's a really great question. He still has on his, he changed on his Instagram bio, the he dropped World Surf League CEO, uh, appropriately. Uh, but it still says, like, whatever, approaching life one wave at a time, right? Where I wonder if he has made, at this point, 
so much of his uh, persona around surfing that even if he does want to back away, it'll be, you know, realizing that I think you realize that as a older you get, right, as a kid or a younger person, I think you could think, oh, I'm going to try this. I'm going to be a horseback rider. Okay, you know, a couple years later, oh, well, that wasn't really fun. I'm going to try, I'm going to be a skateboarder, right? You could try different hats on of like your pastime or what your pastime was going to be. I think the older you get though, like it's foolish to do a hard shift now, right? Like Elo has been projecting himself and talking about it and been surfing for at least the last, let's say, let's say seriously for five years. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, what his, he was a full on supper before then. And before like full on sup, he didn't get on a normal surfboard until midway through his tenure at the World Surf League. And even so that's the, new. He, even he the supping, the supping was only one or two years old when he yeah, discovered surfing. So completely. He, all told these less than 10 years. In. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a great question. Will, did it get a, its hooks in that deep or will it now just be a hassle? Will it be? Well, I think he has like investment. Doesn't he, isn't he invested in like infinity surfboards or yeah. infinity, one of those? Yeah. Yeah. It is infinity. Um, so I think I have the answer to that question actually. Okay. Well, since his time at Oprah Winfrey, since he left that, is he still reading Maya Angelou and watching Tyler Perry films? To be honest, that wouldn't surprise me. He seems <laughs> like the kind of guy who would curl up with a warm blanket and put on some Tyler Perry, put on Medea. Medea. <laughs> You're right. He does. Yeah. But yeah, okay, so, okay, fine. We've answered it. Then I'm saying yeah. he's going back to stand up. He's, he's going to finish Medea's family reunion tonight and then wake <laughs> up tomorrow and go stand up paddling. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that is natively and naturally who he is. I think in his core. To, if we may talk about Elo for two more seconds. Like, sure. Again, the, and I know this is my job to get to the truth. Uh, and let me assure you, dear listener, I have worked harder on this than I have worked on anything surf-related journalism-wise in my entire career, right? I have gone after people. I have gone after people's people. I have gone after any kind of angle I can find my way in. I've gone to Elo. I've gone to Jesse. I've gone to Dave Prodan. I've gone to people who I knew wouldn't answer, but leaving no stone unturned in this one, right? The... Continued silence about it is one thing. It's, you know, annoying as a journalist. Uh, but every day that passes without answer, without anything from the World Surf League, continues to show this is its major, the major problem is, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, the World Surf League hates its audience. It actively despises its audience. It treats them like brainless robots who are going to come and watch this show no matter what they put on they don't have to give any truth they don't have to give any quality they don't have to do anything because they hate their they hate their audience which i think that's why when you know something happens in the nba when there's a scandal in the nfl when there's a something that needs to be discussed a cheating scandal anything in major league baseball the fan is apprised of what is happening and what's going on not just because journalists are better and digging further it's because the leagues themselves know that their fans are the engine behind the whole thing and know they can't despise their fan and so give their fan 
what the fan needs to adjust. World Surf League's hatred of its own fan, to me, is a story in and of itself. And the fact that they, whatever, there's no lawsuit thing, right? I mean, there may be a lawsuit between ELO, but there's nothing preventing. Somebody doesn't get brutally fired with no press release as to even a hint of why, right? Yeah. That absolutely does not happen. So the fact that they don't even deign, like, the smallest of it was a very easily could say it is a it was a personal conduct matter or it was on a financial totally. matter or something totally. like nothing and it would be one thing too if it was like Sophie Goldschmidt who was a quiet CEO who didn't even have any social media presence if she quietly went away then we'd almost not even inquire about it no, but the it fact that her, Elo yeah. paraded himself in front of all of us masquerading the whole thing it's like and then vanquishes they vanquish him and then no explanation it totally you're entirely right it's a disdain and i've seen notes and and i've texted with dave prodan right like but just the not getting it i think of like say more say more what did you you said that you reached out to eric did you reach out to him via text email and what did he say yeah nothing i mean it's all crickets to eric no nothing i call just called but like, no, nothing. Derek's called, nothing. Of course, I didn't expect to get to him. Prodan, uh, I just asked, I said, you don't have to tell me, uh, or off the record, but do you know why? And nothing, right? Is like, Did he I mean, reply? He replied, but it was not about anything. And it was, I just said, this is, this is a, this secret is weird or something. And he said, just noted. Like, he said what? Noted. Uh, I'd be surprised if Dave even knows what happened. I think he, I've, I've heard he does. I've heard Dave is one of the people who knows what, what's happened. One of the few people who knows why. Well, look, Dave's name, Dave Prodan's name came up in conversation when we were talking about the CEO, like who would be the replacement CEO. I don't know if it came up on air or not, but it was, his name. Yeah, it was in Beach Grit. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Who did it? Uh, Surfer Magazine published it, and then I wrote it for Beach okay. Grit. Surfer published it. Yeah, Dave I didn't comment on it at the time, but I did think about it since then. And I've decided it, he was complacent in this entire debacle. Like not only was complacent, but he was defending ELO throughout. And there was times where we would criticize the WSL and I would publish on social media, on Instagram, what you and I had discussed that week on the show. And he would give me grief over what I posted on social media. You know, I think one week Stab Stab High ran uh, their air show event. And then that same week, WSL was running in a wave pool or something. And so the commentary on Instagram that I published was just like, awesome, kudos to Stab for being, um, you know, uh, progressive in their contest format. And look, the WSL continues to be regressive in their contest formats. And he gives me grief about it. And it's like, dude... Like, you are choosing to go down with this ship. That's fine, I guess, if you're protecting your own interests. But you're going to be on the wrong side of history. And when that happens, you shouldn't be shaming the people who are kind of calling a spade a spade along the way. And so as it comes, when we have to kind of make this decision, not that we're making the decision of who's going to be the next CEO, but at least we're commenting on who's going to be the next CEO. As far as I see it, 
Dave also never understood the right direction for, or he used to understand the right direction for the ship to go. And at some point he decided to jump on board with the sinking ship. And so if we need to write the ship now, I'm not convinced that he's the right guy to write the ship. What I am convinced by is that he's also going to take missives from Emily Hoffer and Dirk Ziff and everybody else to continue the ship in the direction that it was going before. That's the way I feel. I mean, I like Dave personally, right? And this is where things get dicey, of course, but Dave would be the absolute worst candidate ever. Dave is the ultimate apple polisher there. He is, I've, I've worked with, you know, Dave's been there from early ASP days. Uh, I've been covering surfing now for what? Is it almost 20 years, 15 years, a long time. Uh, and Dave is a great guy. He's approachable. You can talk to him. He is a stone wall of, he has never given me anything useful. He is, I've only ever had to go around him or sneak through him. Maybe, you know, he would have hooked up with like early tickets to the Surf Ranch Pro or like normal press credentialy kind of stuff back in the day. But yeah, Dave is the problem as much as anyone. Dave is not a, he's not like an accidental, he, he's a core surfer who chooses to, I mean, he is a, he is a turncoat in the worst way possible in that way. Yeah, I can agree he, more. He knows, he knows theoretically what the truth is. He theoretically knows the surf fan and he actively pushes out garbage and has actively pushed out garbage his entire run at the World Surf League. He's not like a mole trying to make no. things right or fixing right. things at the back end or saying it would be a lot worse without me. It would be yeah. a lot better without him. Dave yeah. is a traitor. Yeah, it feels that. It really feels sad to see, actually. Yeah, sorry, Dave. What it feels like. Sorry, Dave. Nicest dude ever. I mean, you know. Love you personally. Same same thing with Elo, by the way. You're a corporate suck-up, Dave. Love you. Well, speaking of the WSL, they actually ran J-Bay last night. Did you watch and do you care? Zero. And I do care about what the surf was doing, how to look. I heard the forecast was not good. Surf was marginal at best. It was nice to see surfers up and riding on a chest-high wave, which is, you know, big compared to what they generally run in this year. Uh but it's super marginal for J-Bay and just pales in comparison to the free surfs leading up to the event. Um, so we don't need to spend a ton of time on it, but I'll give you the quick rundown. Thank you. Joel. So this is the non-elimination opening round only of the men. Are you Joel, still in, by the way? What? Are you still in for I'm in the lo- losers, losers League. But you're losers. still in the losers. Still in the losers, yeah. Okay, congrats. Uh, Joel won his heat. Felipe won his heat. Griffin won his heat. John John won his heat. Gabe won his heat. Ethan and Jordy got second in their heat, so they go into the elimination round. Kelly got third in his heat behind John John Florence and Liam O'Brien, and Jack Robinson got third behind Jordy Smith and Leonardo Fioravanti. So they're all in the elimination round. Um, But seeing Kelly get third and Rob Jack Robinson get third was a bummer. Uh, Will Kelly Slater ever win a heat again (laughs) is the question. I thought you were going to say a contest. Will he? No, of course not. Will he ever win a heat in well, professional going, surfing? They're going to Chopu next, so yes. Okay, so you're going to hold out that Kelly wins a heat at Chopu. I'm not even going to say there anymore. I'm going to yeah. say he's going to go to the elimination round and then get eliminated. Let's Especially see. the way things are going this year. I mean, I don't know that you would think. You'd like to think, I suppose. Oh, I don't know. That the World Surf League is not actually cursed. This year, it seems positively cursed. Every single stop, it feels, there is 
pumping swell with lots of like footage coming out of it too, uh, yeah. leading up to the World Surf League event window. That window opens, the waves go flat, the entire window, flat. I mean, it couldn't have been, I guess it could have been worse in Brazil, but not by much. No, not by much. Yeah, well, and they're, they're having you, to use the whole 10 day window to run, to even find enough scraps, even after the cut when there's fewer surfers. Look, we know the equation on how to run in good surf and it's have a smaller tour that only needs one swell and to have an, like a big wave tour waiting period, like a wider waiting period with a mobile, mobile tour. So you can show up, you could target swells and show up. So the fact that they're still doing it in the archaic way that they've failed at for two decades now, when you say maybe it's cursed, I don't think it's a curse. People talk about is, you know, good luck. No. And then they say, no, good luck is preparedness meeting opportunity. This is the exact opposite of that. This is being so inept that you're never prepared for even if things go right, maybe you'll land ass backwards in a thing that looks decent once in a while, like we did with Pipe, you know, with Kelly winning. But, or Gabriel and Idolo ending up in the final at Pipe that one year, number one and number two. But if you just count the number of heats in the course of the year, and how many times there's actually good surf during those heats, it's 10 heats out of 700 that run. You know, it's just, it's abysmal. And so it's them being completely inept, them being completely not understanding and not even trying to get it right. And that's why we're running in mediocre J-Bay. The, uh, I wonder if J-Bay is the least viewed of the professional surf contest purely because of, like every other one, you can, I feel you can either catch it evening or earlier morning. J-Bay runs basically dead of night here uh, and for a lot of the uh surfing fan world yeah exactly just where it is and yeah. so i wonder if it is yeah how lightly viewed the j-bay contest is which is also a stupid model that they're running on where they're dependent upon you know running an eight or ten hour event in real time yeah fig you know anyways we don't need to go on and on about it but um main portions of the show today I'm going to ask you what you want to do first. Okay, Jonah, Jonah versus Sarah or pros in the wild. Let's go pros in the wild first. Okay. I like it. Uh, some feel good stories and some uh, poignant stories in pros in the wild. Great. If you'll remember our front runner for winning the Buell wetsuit is Steven Randall, who blew it in front of Jack Freestone in Cabo last week. So this Whoever, we're going to do these pros in the wild, call in your submission, write in your submission, and we will pick one winner of the best story at the end of the month, and we're going to give them a Buell wetsuit. You can pick any wetsuit you want on BuellSurf.com, and uh, we'll give it to you for free. They'll ship it to you directly wherever you are in the world. First submission to challenge Steven comes in this week from Justin from Seattle. Justin in Seattle. He said, seven or eight years ago, I was traveling down to Nicaragua from LAX. Right before we boarded, we saw an extremely inebriated Bruce Irons and a large-chested younger female getting on the same flight. It looked like they hadn't slept for a few days. Bruce, Luke Davis, and a few other Ruka guys that I can't remember were staying at a house just down the beach from us north of Playa, Colorado. There's a stretch of beach north of Panga Drops before Los Peros that is unsurfable, heavy closeout shore pound. One late afternoon, the waves were massive, 
and we noticed someone paddle out in front of that zone and started dropping in on 10 to 12 foot closeout barrels. We assumed that it was Bruce Irons, so we walked down the beach to watch. We saw him get absolutely obliterated on 10 or so waves uh, in a row before he dropped in, disappeared for several seconds, and got spit out of a monster stand-up keg. It was, to this day, the fastest I had ever seen anyone travel on a wave, and he casually just got out of the water like it was no big deal. Our minds were absolutely blown, and I will never forget that wave. And it was Bruce Irons? Yeah. Okay. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Uh, I like it a lot. The funny thing about these stories, I'm going to say just out of the get, I'm still liking the Jack Freestone better just because of the surprise of Jack Freestone. Bruce doing this is something that I imagine Bruce doing, right? Now that doesn't take away from the impressiveness of these kinds of guys who are wired that way, right? Imagine Bruce. He was probably knowing Bruce, like on one, right? Imagine getting, having the urge to go surf closeout bombs for no reason. It's not like he's doing it for a photographer. It's not like he's doing it to get the shot. It's not like he's doing it for his work, right? It's not like I'm a professional surfer. It's time to go professional surf. He did that because that's how he's wired. Yeah. Is to go pack heavy Nicaraguan bombs. I know. Well, that, that idea of he sees opportunity out there when we just know it's unsurfable. Like it's not even, you know, there's not even an option to go out there and he sees opportunities out there and also has kind of the, I don't know, wherewithal to be able to take those 10 beatings to get the one opportunity. And you know, that 10 footer to us, it's like, that would, we'd be annihilated for the rest of the trip. We'd be done. And for him, it's just like, Oh yeah, no big deal. I know the ones out here. I'll just find it. I mean, that's the, I mean, casual evening surf. I'm sure we will get to Michaela Jones, the horrible tragedy of Michaela Jones's passing. Uh, but like, you know, it's, it's, I'm shocked to be honest that we don't hear stories like that every day. Of, I know, me too. I mean, the way people surf, where they surf, heavy barrels over shallow reef often, more often than not, in fact, with basically shrapnel or a missile you're attached to you're bored how is how are fatalities not just daily daily occurrences well look at mason ho's dry reef rock dance thing that he's constantly doing it's like how has he not been maimed i mean one like fall going fast and hitting your head directly on exposed reef but I mean, yeah, just to credit, I guess, to all these, the Bruce Irons and the Michaela's and everyone for putting on such a wonderful show that we oftentimes probably take for granted, right? I mean, I mean, well, yeah, what I was struck by with that uh, Mikala Jones story was it can happen to anybody. Like, yeah. I thought that he was invincible. Um, of course. How many, he's the most, I mean, he has done that, getting barreled. And, you know, I don't know the exact details around how his board cut him or his fin cut him. Yeah, I think it's presumed to be the fin to the femoral artery. But, yeah, that's not confirmed. Yeah, but, you know, so I don't know what kind of, you know, obviously zero. But you just assume kind of heavy barrel that where, you know, bottom drops out, board gets turned upside down and boom, like freak accident. But It's it's that easy, actually. 
but going back and like I've gone back and studied Jones's Instagram, I'm sure like everybody has just poured over stuff, right? And it's stuff that it's these indelible images that have been become part of my like surf understanding forever, right? Of like he really pioneered kind of didn't pioneer the POV barrel, but really mastered the POV barrel shot. And I think in a in a different kind of way than like uh, what Alex Gray or what's the Australian who does them all the time the POV barrels Anthony Walsh uh, Anthony Walsh uh, where Joneses were always different right they had a they had like he was like an artist yeah. who was who was yeah doing that and going back and really appreciating it taking a moment to really say man thank you for your body of work it well, is wonderful. You know what I think of with, I thought about this with him and it made me, Bruce Iron's story made me think about that too, is um, how many, I mean, insane waves those guys have gotten that are not documented. Yeah. Like Mikala was specifically trying to get off the map and trying to kind of get away from all of it. And so the only documentation was essentially him self-documenting because there wasn't a filmer like there is for so many other professional surfers. And when we see the waves that he did get, they are insane. So how many out, how many were there that were just, you know, mind bending and same thing with Bruce doing something like that. That is so heroic. I mean, I I don't, that's not the right word because he's not a hero necessarily, but it there's, I don't know what the right word is. It is a heroic feat of kind of strength and, um, in, you know, engaging with mother nature in a way that nobody else can. And I, and I love, I suppose though, this pros, I mean, pros in the wild is general in general is a great segment, but this right here, the fact that our dear listener got to experience that and witness that in real time, uh, where it's, it's only marked on his and his friends mm-hmm. brains, right? It only lives through them. And I'm glad that we got to share that through them, that he was there to witness it and then describe it. Because yeah. I like, I can picture it, and I like that. And the something else that I loved about that story is um, these really flawed surf gods that we have are so, like Bruce is a savant. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's plenty of pro surfers that are phenomenal talents. Bruce is a savant. Clay Marzo's a savant. Um, Chris Ward, savant. You know, and there, it's just. He's on such a different level and di- will disappoint you many, 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 many times. Like his, uh, them giving him entries into the pipe masters in the last decade, you know, they haven't that, done it in, in the last is, two or three years. They haven't done it. Yes. Yeah, that's, that stopped, didn't it? Pretty much. And for the last decade, from a decade ago until three years ago, he'd go out there and get a two. A, to- a two point total and we're all remembering Bruce of old and we're like please Bruce I hope he gets a 10 it's either going to be a 2 or a 10 but like please let it be a 10 this time because we want to see that Bruce of old and to know that he can show up in Nicaragua you know haven't slept in days all that kind of stuff and then he won't do it out at Panga Drops when the waves are pumping necessarily he will fail out there but he'll do it in the shore break when nobody expects it when there's no cameras and when nobody else is you know paddling out Yep, to you, Bruce. That's what we love about good, him. Good pro in the wild. Yeah, okay, Mike from Encinitas. Hey, David and Chaz, here's my pros in the wild story. Last spring, I went on a surf trip to the North Shore. I was surfing Pupakea on a day where the waves were about as big as I could handle. Not huge, but big enough for me. There were a bunch of pros in the water. Ross Williams, Baron Mamiya, 
but the only guy in the water anyone paid attention to was Michael Ho. I did my best to stay out of Uncle Mike's way as he caught seemingly dozens of the best waves of the day. I noticed him paddle a bit north to the peak with no one on it. I followed about 30 yards behind him, hoping to catch some scraps. Suddenly, the wave of the day comes out of deep water directly to Uncle Mike. I'm sitting on the shoulder, waiting to watch him take off on this beauty of a wave. Right as I would have expected him to turn for the wave, he turns to me, looks me directly in the eye, points at me, and yells, Go! I normally wouldn't have wanted anything to do with this wave, but there was no way I was going to disobey Michael Ho. I paddled harder than I ever have in my life, caught the wave, and surfed it about as well as a lifelong intermediate could have. After kicking out 100 yards down the beach, I paddled back to the takeoff zone, and he said, hey, oh, and I said, hey, thanks for that wave. He looked at me and said, you were in the spot, brada, and threw me the loosest of all shakas. This act of generosity probably meant nothing to him, but gave me the lifelong memory of being called into a wave by a surfing legend. Mahalo, Uncle Mike. I'm going to put this one as number one. Okay. This put a tear in my eye. I mean, Michael Ho is just a genuinely, genuinely to his core, core, great, great guy. Yeah. And as evidenced right here, what a story. Man, I would have been like, this had everything. I would have been, if I was sitting there, just out for the view, more or less at that point, right? If you're already feeling yeah, like totally. this is this is kind of, you know, I'm at the I'm at my limit here. Why? It's not this, you know, you don't mess around out there, and to get called in, to get your muscles like working. Oh man, I gotta actually go because there's no way you cannot. You would you would have to. Not only could you not paddle out in good conscience ever again there. I think you would really have to question yourself. I think you would have to go break your boards and say, I'm not a surfer. If you were sitting out there and Michael Ho said go and you fake paddled, oh, oh man, I missed it. Or if you did anything, but at least you could wipe out, but you can't wipe out on the takeoff, right? You have to have like a committed effort to that thing. And so I'm so happy that dear Mike made it happen. I know. It's a great story. I, I, Think of like, you know what your limits are in terms of the waves in that scenario. And then if you know eyeballs are watching you, it makes you additionally nervous. And you're going like, if you were just by yourself, you could really just kind of feel free to live up to your potential. But when you know pro people are watching and then pros are watching, that adds a real level of pressure. But if one of those guys says to you to go, you'll actually probably push your boundaries more than you would have on your own. You know? I mean, you have to. You yeah. have to. For your own personhood. I was yeah. going to say manhood, but thankfully, the Committee for Equity in Women's Surfing is <laughs> on my heart. Well, we have um, the next one comes in from Portugal. We had Seattle, we had Encinitas, and now we've got Portugal calling in. Hello, David Lee. Scales and Chaz, um, this is uh, Manuel speaking from uh, speaking from Portugal. Uh, yeah, I was just listening to the to some of your previous um, uh, episodes, and Miguel was uh, was calling in from the Canary Islands, talking about his accent, and I thought about adding mine, uh, especially <laughs> to the pool, uh, especially because I would like to to touch on the on the um, pros in the wild uh, segment. Uh, this is a bit of a, a bit of a touchy one, uh, particularly for me, because it's about uh, Ricardo dos Santos. 
uh, this uh, yeah Brazilian Brazilian surfer that uh, was a tube hound and, um, and ended up being killed by a policeman in his door, the door of his house. And uh, yeah, my account of uh, of the pros in the wild uh, was about um, about the uh, yeah basically his formative years. Let's say uh, I mean I was. Uh, I grew up uh, in, a, in a town nearby Guarda do Imbaú, um, there in the south of Brazil, and uh, I learned to surf between there and a couple of other spots in the area. Uh, and uh, yeah, through the years, I got to see this little kid. No, uh, I remember him when he showed up. I don't know, was maybe seven, eight years old, uh, little boy, and uh, I knew he was a local, a native. Uh, but yeah, like his uh, his skills were way above the the local grom uh, i would say yeah like it was way above uh, a bunch of us no most of us um and then uh yeah i think i've you know like from from random uh, encounters in the water i followed him until he was maybe 12 or or 13 and by this time he was just going square he was doing stuff he was just going up and down and hitting the lip with so much uh, uh so much strength and so much um yeah, radical. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, my English fails me here. But anyways, I, I for some reason, uh, for, for, yeah, for lots of reasons, I moved. Uh, I went to live in Uruguay. And, um, and so at some point we stopped going to Guarda and I lost, lost track of uh, Ricardinho. Ricardinho. And uh, yeah, by the time I came back there to, yeah, to surf and to, to meet my, my friends and it went. Uh, it went. A few years went by, and uh, and that's when I knew he was uh, he was an aspiring pro. No, so I could uh, now I could follow this guy on tour. No, and uh, we know what he did. Uh, all those uh, all those uh, seasons in Hawaii and uh, Chopo, that wave of the winter, all of that, and uh, and yeah, to to our to our sadness as a as a you know the people that knew him. Uh, Closer and everybody in the surfing community, I would say, uh, he yeah he ended up uh, being killed uh, at the doorsteps of his house, uh, which you know which I know perfectly exactly where it is. I pass by every time you go to to surf the the point there in Guarda, and um, so yeah, it's a huge loss. But uh, this is my um, this is my um, what do you call it? Uh, pros in the wild uh, account. Uh, so yeah, cheers. Have a good one. Thank you so much for opening up. And uh, yeah, take care. Not exactly a singular encounter, but a worthwhile like revisiting of a good story. I definitely like the memorial to Ricky yeah. Two Saints. Ricardo Dos Santos was like such a phenomenal, phenomenal surfer. Those, those guys who come out of Brazil and shine on the North Shore and Chopu and things like that, it's always really impressive to me. Like, oh, not that Brazil only has weak, weak beach break, but, like, guys with just skills for that, right? The hunger and the cat-like reflexes that it takes to be able to, and the ocean knowledge. Like, to be able to, I mean, I guess back to the Michael Ho story, too. You know, Michael Ho seeing that wave come in maybe knew that whatever that kink was, that he was going to be slightly too deep, it'd be, he could still go and make it, I'm sure, but it'd be better for that guy. Like, a person who can read the ocean that way, combined with no fear, combined with cat-like reflexes, is a, is a real tip of the capper. Yeah, that 
the wave of the winter too that he got at pipeline i want to say it might have been 2016 or something mm-hmm. like that was still in the annals of history like will go down as one of the greatest i don't know waves at pipeline ever but like images certainly out of you know it was like the way that it was lit and that um it was like a double up on the section that he was just like standing tall in and there was a couple of different angles of it that was just amazing amazing yeah. stuff so um thank you manuel uh our next one comes from michael and rockaway who says hey guys first time long time here i'm a mediocre surfer of 30 plus years from new york i was surfing ollie's point in costa rica in 2016 where my cousin with my cousin and I could tell a few guys out were next level. I see one dude on a rusty board who looked familiar and another one who looked like a former world champ. I realized the guy on the rusty was Josh Kerr and the, and the other was a world champ's twin, Damian Hobgood. Guys are tearing the place to shreds. Uh, I catch a wave down the point to the inside and I turn around to see Josh and Sierra Kerr share a wave having a blast, a beautiful father-daughter moment. As a relatively new new girl dad at the time of a two-year-old and another one who was going to be born six weeks later, I watched in awe and hoped that one day that would be me. As they kicked out, I find myself paddling up the point next to him. I thought of telling him how he has personally tanked my fantasy surfer team, but instead I said, my daughter is two. When can I start doing that? He laughed and said, six years old or something and then paddled up the point three times at three times my speed we get back uh, up to the top and miss kerr goes back to, uh, to the boat he starts paddling way up the point and i hear one of his homies say it's showtime i'll never forget that he proceeds to catch a nice set wave fly down the line at 80 miles an hour and launch the biggest air in my rockaway beach eye, that my rockaway beach eyes had ever seen and uh my cousin and I just looked at each other and laughed. It felt like we were playing hoops on the court with LeBron. Unreal. Keep up the work, Mike. Fantastic. Man, these, these pros in the wild, who knew that it would be such a heartstring pulling segment? I know. I didn't anticipate that either. But what I like about it is knowing that Josh is choosing to spend that quality time with his daughter sharing waves. And the moment she hits the boat, it's, it's showtime, show, show yeah, dude. That's and just like crazy that's totally epic i was thinking as that story was going to uh there could be a whole we could do a whole second one called hobgoods in the wild like i feel that more people have more everyday people have hobgood surf experiences than any other pro out there i mean granted there's two of them them. yeah you double your chance to see a hobgood in the wild but still yeah I mean, I, I think I've told you this before, but I don't know which Hobgood it was, but one time I was surfing in Newport when I was a teenager and there was just so much swell and current. Like I could barely, I mean, I probably got like two waves or something like I was just spending the entire day paddling and whichever one of them it was, was out and they were just beelining to the exact takeoff spot, get a barrel way down the beach, paddle all the way back out. Everybody else was going to the beach and walking down the beach to then try to get back out to the position. They were just paddling past everybody. It was like honestly being like they were a motorboat, you know, or had a motor on the bottom. I mean, with that last one too, Josh Kerr paddling by him at three times the speed. I don't understand that. You would think, you would think that, sure, 
I don't have the quickest pop-up. I am dumb on the wave. I this, that, or the other thing. I don't have the instincts to be a pro surfer. Paddling, though, is not a... Paddling is just something you can do. I could be the best paddler in the world. No. Somehow, pros have a paddling gear or paddling muscle or paddling style that is like when you see a pro and you're like paddling full on and then a pro will breeze by you at quarter speed like at or quarter energy i don't understand that part of surfing it's can't we all paddle the same at least or if i try really hard can't i paddle faster than you nope i'm not even gonna be close you would think it would be the guy with the biggest muscles, you know, who is the best paddler or something. And it's nothing to do with any of that. It's just time in the water experience. I don't, is, is it some way that a pro will position themselves on the board when they're paddling that they can feel like I'm getting my board at the exact right plan shifting always with the swell, but for the exact right plane where everybody else is like bogging a little bit or totally like uh, me as pro, I feel the ripples under my stomach and I'm able to like, slightly adjust my board just to make it basically a motorboat slightly adjust in the right spot you know like my right hip for this undulation of the ocean my left hip for the other one and like slowly back and forth crazy pros i know it is crazy that is one of the most impressive things when you see pros in the wild is paddle speed yep efficiency uh okay i'm gonna give you one more i have more but we'll just keep it at one more and then save some for next week i'm sure more will come in but uh, Mike from Washington. A lot of mics yeah, in this batch. Yeah, so many mics. You know, Mike in the wild could be another segment. <laughs> Mike from Washington says, Greetings, DLS and CS. This is Mike from Washington. I'm thoroughly enjoying the show and wanted to share my pro in the wild encounter. Can I call this a tale of two pros in the wild? These two encounters occurring within the same region during the same week uh, couldn't have been more disparate and left me contemplating the impact pros have on our own individual experience, running the spectrum from disillusionment to pure bliss, more apropos than anything to the current conversation regarding the role of the WSL in competitive surfing versus professionals free surfing, and what we as a core fan really value. I'm lucky that my wife's family lives in Santa Barbara. This equates to little surf trips in balmier waters, a handful of times a year when we come down to visit, although usually it's ankle—it's sharing ankle-high slaps with anyone else desperate enough to get wet. January of 2021, uh, though, was a very different deal. The central coast of California saw some really good runs of swell, and we happened to have a quick trip lined up during this time. The stoke level was high on departure and went through the roof as we flew over the ranch, where it literally looks like lines of running uninterrupted swell from Point Conception to Gaviota. That night, I racked my brain on where to surf the next morning. Knowing all well that I should resist the urge, I found myself pulling into the lot at Rencon. I actually drove past, intent on checking less crowded spots in hopes of scoring, but inexplicably found myself turning around, scrambling to park, and then joining the other 200 surfers, hoping to pick off just one good one. What a dumb idea. And there I was. So I paddled through the crowds, looking to find my appropriate spot amongst the spectacle. Sets were ticking off like a metronome. Guys were absolutely ripping. And as I settle in midpoint, mostly just dodging bodies and waves, here comes a dude in a full red wetsuit flying down the line like I've never seen before. Right in front of me, as the section closes out, he launches into an air reverse, 
only to send his board literally into orbit. My mind is scrambling. Who is this? Uh, are they really out here chucking his leashless board into orbit like this on this day? Why? The red suit swims in, grabs his board, and a minute later he's back, this time traveling midpoint like a flying squirrel that stumbled into a bag of cocaine. Forget getting a wave. I uh, Forget getting a wave today, I told myself. This is next level spectacle. So for the next hour, I watched Felipe Toledo back paddle, shoulder hop, and burn surfer after surfer. Most of us got zero waves this day, and he got 30. I got out of the water after I had had enough, thoroughly amused, but left wondering why I wasted the opportunity to surf great waves just to watch Felipe downright disrespect, uh, watch Felipe's downright disrespect for the order of things. True, it's pumping Rincon, and if it wasn't him, it would have been another pro. At least that's what I told myself. Ultimately, I felt a bit empty from the quote session and reminded myself of my place in surfing which is definitely not surfing pumping rincon cut oh do we have another pro in the wild? yeah i got okay. another pro in the wild cut to a few days later less swell in the water and still uh but still good and i make a better decision to surf emma wood a weird little uncrowded wedgie wave that can get really fun on occasion it was indeed fun and i was finally getting waves unlike the rincon debacle I paddled back out after a solidly intermediate effort to see a big strong dude absolutely blow the top off of a section. The water level view was ridiculous as this was real power surfing. I sit back uh, or I, uh, I sit back on my little peak and none other than Dane Reynolds paddles back out to sit beside me, all grins. I immediately felt self-conscious, sheepish, and again, wildly out of place in the pecking order in my, of my pecking order in the surfing world. Then he said hi. And for the next hour, and a few, uh, he and a few others split peaks, shared waves, and had some chuckles, all the while watching at live water level view, Dane Reynolds absolutely murdering waves, one of the best sessions of my entire life. I left the water feeling more filled with stoke than I ever have before. And it wasn't because I got good waves or surfed them reasonably well. It was because I shared the session with a pro who was filled with joy with the joy that surfing brings and is willing to share that with others who happen to be in the water with him that day the more i thought about it the more i realized that i probably that he probably changed the whole tone in the water that day though the crowd was fairly light everyone was stoked and respectful uh, a seemingly vacant combination when the surf is good in most california spots how cool is that as i send this i reflect back on those two sessions i'm comfortable admitting that I'd much rather watch a pro surf unfettered by the confines of competition, riding waves for the pure joy of surfing, rather than watch anything that professional competitive surfing has become. So, if I may, I leave you two with a question. Do you think that the current state of competitive professional surfing is sucking the soul out of surfing? And if so, how is this affecting the surf experience for all of us other average folks out there? Work, fellas. Great couple of pros in the wild i love the first one i was funny before you started the second one i was going to say if it's emma wood that he's surfing because i was thinking that's where he was going then this pro in the wild is going to be dane reynolds yeah uh, totally. but uh anyway the first one i think notable in that 
talk about pros paddling, talk about pros ability on waves, but pros desire for waves is also what makes them a pro. Like I can paddle out to the peak and try to figure out, okay, where's my, when should I go and what's my place and assessing the uh, talent or skill of the surfers around you. And then, you know, like that's what I think most average folk do. A pro goes out there and says, every one of these waves is mine. Yeah. You just, people just happen to be maybe on them, but they're all mine and go act that way right and so yeah. get 30 waves like and i always wonder because there would be nothing stopping our dear listener from doing that himself right i mean you'd get yelled at uh like but even you could go out and say look i'm gonna go get four waves i don't care who's on them i'm just gonna go get four it's even hard slash impossible to will yourself or for me at least to really drop in on people or, you know, really back paddle and snake someone who's sitting there or whatever. Like the etiquette in surf is such a big part of my surf experience. And probably because I'm not very good. Probably because, hey man, I need everybody to respect the code here so we can all share, right? Yeah. Pro's not interested in sharing. Well, it's Felipe looks at every wave and realizes, I mean, what you're doing when you paddle out is assessing everybody else in the lineup. And you know, if there's a kook, that's not going to make a late drop or something. You can sit right next to him. You could actually let him sit with priority yeah. because you know, he's either not going to catch the wave. He'll be out of position for the wave or he's going to eat it on the wave and you can almost go with impunity. And I think Felipe is making that exact same assessment when he looks at us, Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so even if we're up and riding, he goes, Oh, they're not going to make this section. Or even if they make this section, they're going to do a bogging cutback. It's not worth it. It's not oh, worth it. I'm going to do a 360 air. Yeah. So I'm just going. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And and then the Dane Reynolds, I love that story just because it is totally true. I mean, Dane, like Michael Ho, like there's certain real, not just surf legends, but where their personality is such that it does. It like raises the level, not just an, on a performance level, but raises like the vibe, right? Where, and Dane is such a great guy, not only a phenomenal surfer, not just a great you know, dad and whatever, but like Dane Reynolds is truly a genuinely good guy. And so I love that the reflection of that in a lineup where everybody can be getting waves, everybody like the whole, the entire level is lifted thanks to one person. Yeah. And it's also, you have to imagine like he is a celebrity, especially in Ventura. And it's gotta be so annoying to go surfing and be gawked at every single time same thing for mike ho on the north shore for them to not be jaded by that for them to not become curmudgeonly by that and to instead embrace it actually probably uh deflects so much of that tension you know like if you're just cool to everybody and say hi then they don't be weird about it they're then the fan your fans probably are no longer staring at you they're yeah. now cool too, and everything's everybody's having a good time. So, congrats on those guys for embracing it. Well done. Yeah, well, well done. Well done. Our submissions; those are all solid. Well, not only good stories, but really well written. I mean, completely. Like every one of them is like beautiful. They're they are beautiful vignettes. Totally. So we need to now figure out. I think uh, Stephen from last week got dethroned from by Mike and Encinitas about Michael Ho. I'm still going Michael Ho is my number one. I love them all, but Michael Ho's story has the arc there. It was real nice. So Manuel from Portugal, sorry to say you're out. 
We love Ricardo Dos Santos too, though. Um, Mike from Rockaway, who the Josh Kerr story at Ollie's Point came short. Mike from Washington with that most recent Dane Reynolds Felipe story, unfortunately. Still really can't, good. Still can't Mike beat Mike Ho. Ho. Okay, yeah. Mike Ho it is. Until next week, congratulations, Mike from Encinitas. You're in the front, the pole position. Okay, so uh, Sarah Brady, the case of Sarah Brady versus Jonah Hill. How how studiously have you been following this, David Lee Scales? Not Honestly, I'm not um, trying to pay attention. It finds its way to me every time I open Instagram. I cannot believe the life that this story has had on it. It's funny. Uh, Jonah Hill stories somehow really, really get the public going in some way. Like, I don't know what specifically it is. It's not like he is starring in some blockbuster that's opening right now, right? There's no reason his name should be ticking the algorithm in the way it does. Now, of course, the salaciousness of this one, you can see how it would get a life, you know, but you would think it would it would bubble beneath the surface of like major headline stories and then quickly disappear. Instead, it becomes the major headline story. And I'm not talking about on Beach Grit or whatever. I'm talking about like mainstream media. This thing has risen and stays for like, it doesn't just go down with the 24-hour cycle. Yeah. It gets, and of course, our... Dear Sarah Brady is doing her best to pour gasoline on these smoldering embers and relight it every day. But and, yeah. And a bunch of other celebrities are chiming in about it. That's the other thing that keeps the flames going is, you know, I don't know who, Bethany Frankel or whatever Bravo celebrity yeah. then has an opinion about it. And so she has a negative Jonah experience. Oh, that's that's what it was. You're right. Yeah. Okay. So then other people start chiming in and then it all kind of comes to the surface again. But this story is not quite a week old. I feel like it's maybe five days old. Sunday, actually. Sarah Brady took to Instagram. Were you going to say something? I was going to say, yeah, finish finish describing. Then we'll get in. Yeah, so Sunday Sarah Brady, which is Jonah Hill's former girlfriend and surfer, by the way. That's how we all know Sarah Brady. She's a surf instructor, an activist, um, and they she started her and Jonah started dating, whatever, two years ago. And uh, she took to Insta, they broke up. And two years ago, she took, I'm sorry, Sunday, she took to Instagram to share screenshots of text exchanges that she had had with Jonah, apparently through their breakup. Some of them are probably through the relationship prior to the breakup and published them on Instagram, essentially to shame Jonah, saying that he is, misogynistic he is a narcissist and she felt really mistreated uh in the relationship and with the benefit of hindsight wants to warn other women against his ways basically his misogynistic ways she got lured in felt like she was victimized by him and then had some clarity after enough time after the breakup and now wants to send this warning out to potential other victims that he may date in the future so this story caught fire. I mean, I I started seeing it. People started sending it to me like, oh my God, check out her stories before they go away in 24 hours. Then there was a Reddit thread that captured all of it and had commentary. And I thought that was as big as it would go. Living on a separate platform was would be as big as it goes. Well, then TMZ, I texted you at that point about it. Like, hey, do you see what's going on over here? 
then TMU had already seen it, and then TMZ reported on it, and then Page Six reported on it, and now those kind of gossipy sites are what doing what we said, basically reporting on every little update and every little celebrity weighing in, or everybody who's ever had a bad experience with Jonah is weighing in. Now marriage counsel, Vice is interviewing marriage counselors to hear what their thoughts are on this breakup. So what are your thoughts on this story? I mean, and then that's, so that was the first tranche of personal <laughs> emails or texts, right? Then she right. released a whole nother like post breakup, uh, like, you know, with him, getting together with the uh, woman who is now the mother of his child, right? Well, like, Fill me in on that because I didn't see any of those. Oh, yeah. So this is number... T- I mean, and this is as many private texts as round one, maybe more. And it's like him telling her, hey, just FYI, I, you know, I got together or I got with somebody new and just wanted to be open and honest and tell you that, right? And so then it just is back and forth, back and forth with her and him, her... Feeling like, well, you you were leaning on me for partner level relationship, you know, whatever stuff when you were with somebody else and like very clear hurt feelings. And but then her basically trying to tar him with the uh, you were uh, what being I don't know. I don't even know what to be honest. I think not communicating well and you know, leaning on me for things you shouldn't have been being too close to me when you were with her. And, you know, I don't know what her point was. And then intermixed in all this was in her stories. Like it's everything, right? I mean, I don't know how, do you know how people have that much time to do? When, when I go onto Instagram stories and I see 1000 little squares at the top of that's how much content there is. I'm like, how do you have time to do that? I like, have no idea. She's basically curating her life in real time. She's, yeah. Ostensibly she's living. But she's capturing, because every one of those things is like, her stories is like a screenshot of a Jonah Hill text with some commentary that she's yeah. added in another box with oftentimes a little bitmoji or a gif or something, you know, something's happening in the corner. Like each one of those takes time to do. So she has spent hours upon hours and her, yeah, like, so again, a whole dump, two big, massive dumps of personal texts. But in any case, whose side are you on? Well, the I mean, Jonah sounds oversensitive, maybe, and Jonah's you know demands of her maybe are. We didn't even discuss that. Yeah, I mean, it was demand. That, that was the first thing. It was like if 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 you want to be in a relationship, or if we want to be in a relationship, it's like I don't things I don't like boundaryless relationships with men, uh, flirting with men in the lineup. I think it was going to lunch or going to having any kind of interaction with unstable females more than just a coffee or something like that. Right. Right. And then he ends, let me, let me, yeah, you can read them. All right. Okay. He said, apparently they were in some fight. This was December 2nd, 2021. And he said, plain and simple, if you need, and he has bullet points, surfing with men, boundaryless, inappropriate relation, friendships with men to model, to post pictures of yourself in a bathing suit, to post sexual pictures, friendships with women who are in unstable places and from your wild recent past beyond getting a lunch or coffee or something respectful. I am not the right partner for you if you need any of these things. 
If these things bring you to a place of happiness, I support it and there will be no hard feelings. These are my boundaries for romantic partnership. My boundaries with you based on the ways these actions have hurt our trust. So, so that's him sending her his list of needs in a relationship and, uh, you know, saying those are the things that have offended me, essentially. Yeah, which, and again, like there's a lot of talk about you can't, your boundaries are for you. You can't put boundaries on somebody else, right? Like you can't say my boundary is for you not to drink. Like, right, right. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. I get all that. I get how this list is, you know, seemingly like a, I don't know, wouldn't call it misogynistic. I love the fact that misogynistic and narcissistic narcissistic get thrown out so easily. Like you're saying he hates women and has a clinical disease of, you know, being so self-involved that it's it's a clinical disease. That's what you're that's what you're saying. That this whole exchange means he hates women and it has a mental disease, yeah. right? Where we don't know any of the context and I think it's really easy to get into victim shaming and you know we need to believe the victim and all this kind of stuff Sarah Brady has provided loads of material but no real context right I mean Jonah's staying silent as he should he shouldn't this shouldn't be a tit for tat thing right yeah. I don't know what she expected to get out of this dump but you can tell that she really likes it uh, she likes the attention right because she keeps going back in there and her reason, she'll go back. I've read them all, David Lee Scales, if you can imagine. I've read every text of the first and every text of the second. And then every frame in between. Where she keeps changing, you know, the reason I did this, she will say, is because I want, like you said, I want, you know, victims and people to be able to feel safe to come forward. I am a victim, etc., etc. And I want other, I want my story to empower other people. Then she'll include other people's stories who reach out to her and say, your story empowered me to come forward about my thing, whatever, you know, on and on and on and on. Well, all whatever. But then she'll say my reason for doing this. One of her latest reasons for doing it was that Jonah Hill would not get waves anymore. Uh, based on, <laughs> did you see that one? I saw Derek's headline about it. Yeah, but that's all true, right? She, and so then she said, and this kind of, she'll so text to her buddies, but then put her own texts on her Instagram stories. You know, low-key, I wanted this to happen. This was the reason I did this, is for Jonah Hill not to get any waves. So at this point, like, again, back to the start of the show, back to our talk about... Misunderstanding. Stu- about stupidity, plus yeah. misunderstanding, plus a lack of grace, plus then this, you can tell in Sarah Brady... This feeling of righteousness, of I am right, is growing, right? It kept, it started off as a small flame, enough of a flame where she thought, I'm going to do a personal dump of private text messages. Now as it's gone on, and this story's gone on, she is becoming a martyr. She is a voice of the oppressed and abused women of the world because of her story of abuse, where Derek ended his piece i thought wonderfully uh did you read derek's piece on where her so the title of this one derek wrote was jonah hill's ex sarah brady delivers stunning coup de gras actress banned from hawaiian surf spots made famous by andy irons quote if he ever tries to surf hanalei again he never get one wave without getting cut off end quote okay so Again, Derek recounts it, and a lot of this is, you know, Sarah saying, I am a champion for me as a, an abused woman myself. I am a champion. Uh, Derek Riley writes at the end of his story, also the survivor thing. 
When I think of when I think survivor, I think a brave Malala Yousafzai uh, shot in the head by the Taliban for speaking out against the Afghan regime. I think of a nine-year-old napalm girl, uh, Fan Tai Kim, whatever her name is, running naked after being hit by South Vietnamese bombs, or Aaron Ralston who cut his hand off after being trapped by a boulder following a climbing climbing accident. I don't think having a needy ex necessarily puts you in the same league. If you don't dig them, delete their number, unfollow where necessary, and move on. Or is that old-fashioned, toxic, etc.? Where that's the silly thing of this whole thing is, and I'm not, you know, we're not grading abuse here. We're not saying, okay, well, this is counts as abuse and this doesn't. But my goodness gracious, I think it's okay. Her, yeah, if you read her stuff, it's like that's it. You had a needy ex. You had yeah. a needy ex, and maybe like he made demands of you in the relationship in terms of what he wanted. You're dating a friggin' celebrity to begin with. You think celebrities are like normal people? You think that having been hounded by paparazzi and what your entire life, that you're not going to have like sort of a checklist of these are the things that have gotten me in trouble publicly before, you know, like, I don't know what you're thinking you're getting out of dating us full on. And it's not like Jonah Hill was a C-list celebrity, right? I mean, Jonah Hill is a A-list celebrity. He is Oscar nominated, I believe. Yeah, Oscar nominated. Like he is a full on celebrity. And so context free, you're going to throw out these private text messages, really tar him badly. I mean, really get him right. Like now Jonah Hill, at least in this cycle, is an abuser, a misogynist, a narcissist. Other stories are coming out. He's an awful person, right? That's what. And you caused that by publishing private text messages. To what end? Like, do you really hate Jonah Hill that bad? Is, I mean, she clearly must. Well, I think her feelings are really hurt still. Like, to me, this is just a normal breakup. Um, I think Jonah, I'll share my opinions on Jonah later, I guess. But to me, this just looks like a normal breakup. And breakups are ugly. And you say, and you, it brings the worst out of you as well. Like, you say shitty things, you know? And so I think the timing of it is very interesting to me. The fact that she would wait so long. I mean, he literally already has a kid with somebody else. So this wasn't, you know, he's got into a relationship with somebody and had a kid with somebody. And that was months ago that he had that news story about him having the kid. So now we're probably a year after their breakup. So the fact that she's publishing it now shows that she's still upset about the breakup and her feelings are still hurt about the breakup. So when I saw that... Yeah. So when I saw that first dump of messages, that's how my, that's how I felt initially was like, oof, scorned ex girlfriend, really bothered by the fact that he now has a kid with somebody else and she's showing some raw emotion here. And I didn't feel less about her because of that. I just understood that's what it was. Right. But I didn't think, and I thought that those texts made Jonah look bad, but whatever, they weren't like, you know, We're not talking Harvey Weinstein or something like this isn't a criminal activity. So I was just kind of going to move on from it. But when I saw her kind of fanning the flames and doing it over and over again and her name popping up in the mainstream press over and over again, I realized she's gotten much more famous off of this scandal than she ever got from dating him in the first place. Yep. And the fact that she's... Yeah, the fact that she's fueling, it's now gone beyond alerting women to his potential misogyny or whatever it is that's going to affect their relationship. Like, it's now gotten into a 
I think she likes it, you know? And so that makes me kind of like her a little bit less. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's, she has gotten off on, it's very clear. I think when you look at her whole story timeline, how she feels, she's feeling it, right? She likes it. She likes this attention. Uh, and that's fine. You know, go get your 15 minutes, but also she's getting her 15 minutes at the expense of somebody else. A. She's getting her 15 minutes, I think, at the expense also of real survivors, like of equating or having her experience of, you know, being told maybe what to wear or whatever. And I, I suppose she'll say, well, this is or does say this is a the larger issue, right? This is narcissistic controlling. She keeps going back to this Darvos or Davos or something deflect some something that abusers do. Right. But again, I mean, even if she's right, you've already made your point. We got it. He is that. I mean, what, if, what like, else do you want? It's, it's again, it's not a criminal activity. No, you've identified, you. you've identified that he is that you've let everybody know that he is that. Okay. Moving on. You guys aren't together anymore. Just move on. Right. Yeah. No, she, she's, she likes it. She really likes well, it. So that's, that was my other thought was it's gotten to the point where this is not healing for Sarah. Yeah, like, but you're, you kind of, Waiting in it and rehashing it over and over and now having your ego fed by it This is not healing for Sarah The healing thing is acknowledge it Delete it like Derek said block the number move on he's married or he's got a kid with somebody else He's clearly moved on go ahead and move on from it at this point. You've alerted other people you checked that box move on Yeah, but no, I mean it's a real sickness to be honest of social media that people can uh, do this kind of thing, feel justified, feel, you know, the, the endorphins or whatever that it ticks of yeah. people to, you know, and to have this, all these texts of support for her. And then to be able to say, you know, no, you who are talking negatively about me or saying anything negative, negatively about me, that gets them off too, right? Like yeah. this, it seems like, a sickness of social media. And when you see her stories, how many there are, yeah. the obsession, like that. that's not a sign of a healthy mind. That is a, and I'm not just saying for her, if I go to anybody's stories and see 80,000 Instagram stories, I'm like, pump the friggin' brakes, man. You are living. You All of this doesn't need to be documented every moment. Like right. stop. And honestly, smell the roses for a second. Look off. Like, Look away from the phone. Look outward. Look at somebody or something else. And those 80,000 are about the same exact thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's... it's So, yeah, it's a- I, I... Even when I saw the initial dump, like I said, my assessment was scorned X, feeling the raw emotion of him having a baby with somebody else or whatever, and just letting it all out there. I had grace for that, but I also thought it was poor taste. Yeah. Like sharing sharing the private text messages. Again, it's not criminal activity, so you don't need to take this to the FBI or something. And just sharing them publicly, I just thought was poor taste. You know, you have to have respect for those people that you opted into a relationship with. And yes, he scorned you, but again, not criminal. You had difference of opinion, so you have to kind of have respect for your own choice or for the people that you were with. But all that aside, I was willing to overlook it. Um, in it, I did read, I didn't read as many of the messages as you, but I did read some of them. And my second thought was, 
this validates exactly who I presume Jonah Hill was based on all the other information. Like he does totally seems uh, narcissistic and insecure. I, w- I won't say misogynist because I don't, I didn't see any of that, but he seems insecure and at the same time, equal amounts of narcissism. He slid into her DMs initially by, by liking and commenting privately in her DMs on her in a bikini doing a bottom turn where the shot is essentially of her butt. So he commented on that and started a relationship based on that. And then his messages once they're in a relationship is you're not allowed to model. You're not allowed to, or he did, by the way, I should say he didn't say you're not allowed to. He said for me in a relationship, I don't want you to, my, I don't want my partner to be posting bikini shots, to be modeling, to be talking to other guys, all that sort of stuff. So I think that's hypocritical to slide in and get into the relationship via that method, but then be against it once you're in the relationship with that person is hypocritical. For sure. And like, I don't think, I think having a list of, of correct behaviors for your partner is clearly off piste, right? Totally. Like, and that is not cool. And I totally see how, you know, to Sarah's point, I guess that that leads to, you know, that kind of controlling behavior can be a sign of something else. Like, and totally. there's not enough context as it relates to Jonah is, you know what, like, but also guess what you're dating, Sarah Brady, guess who he is. He's an A-list movie star. They're crazy. They've yeah. grown, like the world is not the same for them. Like getting, I mean, yeah, as I was last week, week before on set, uh, oh yeah, and all the like you see, like I literally saw. I was on set for four days. You see how to be an actor and to do that kind of thing, it makes you crazy. Like I watched my young daughter go semi crazy. You've got all these people around you. You're saying lines. You're living in a fantasy. Uh, you're playing somebody else perpetually. Like how does this not really break you? Not and not in a bad way, but it's like. This whole thing is weird. And so for her then to say, Jonah has weird tics. Yeah, it's Jonah Hill. He's a movie star. Like, and I think he's been, and again, she'll go in the reason she did it. You know, I'm protecting other women. I want him to get snaked in the lineup. One of her reasons why she did it was, oh, she was mad that he has become the face of mental health. Right. After his movie studs came out and all this and there's so much therapy speak in the whole thing and there's yeah, there you know in all it's just non-stop therapy speak and so that's when you have therapists weighing in therapists saying using therapy speak outside of therapy is dangerous and Jonah Hill you're wrong for this way and I'm thinking how in the world is a therapist weighing in on somebody that's not their patient that they right. haven't talked to how right. is that okay right yeah. like yeah. all of this seems like it's a therapy mess I think there's always too much of a good thing and when you have two personal therapists plus a other therapists and therapy, 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 therapy. I mean, I said this about Stutz, right? Which I'll, at some point, and again, I mean, I talked to Jonah about Stutz and completely saw where I look callous, right? That people need therapy and I don't, zero undermining of therapy. I'm not meaning to undermine therapy. I think therapy is a valuable, valuable, valuable tool, right? But I think there's always too much of something and there's too, there can be too much self-reflection, right? Where it's just always inside, 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 which gets back to the misunderstandings and all this, right? Yeah. Of like, 
and then this feeling of justification of I'm working on myself. I am feeling these things. These things are valid. This person's validating them. I am right. You know, like it's just this cycle of like, can we not pull back for a minute and say, huh, I wonder what that person's thinking. I wonder how that person's feeling. Let, let me put myself in their shoes, right? Yeah. Where, yeah, like it's it seems like difficult to do. But to, I don't know how Sarah couldn't think, Jonah advertised himself as sense, overly sensitive, as insecure. He's publicly stated that that's what he is, right? Yeah. And so for her to then bash him for being that also seems kind of, well, why did you hate him in the first place? Yeah, I... I hate to even um, come at Sarah for her missteps in this whole thing because I think that she's right. Like her assessment about Jonah through this is accurate. Like he did, you know, um, uh, basically these things that male, that a partner shouldn't do. He made me feel insecure. He made me feel these ways by, by using therapy speak to define what his boundaries are in the relationship, he did it in such a way that made me feel less than. And I think that's all accurate assessment, but the way that she's kind of handled it and gone on about it does not make her look great either. It's just breakups are ugly. And they clearly weren't bringing out the best in one another. That's the other thing, is you could tell in the way that they were communicating with one another in those private exchanges, they're not the right fit for one another. She's He's making her feel terrible. She's doing stuff that's making him feel terrible. It's time to split up. And by the way, you should probably do it privately. But her kind of doing it the way that she did it makes her look bad. He looked bad in the relationship on his own accord. And it's kind of gross that we're all even discussing it. I mean, everybody looks bad. and But the crazy thing is when the, when the uh, high wears off for her, because I'm sure she's still riding high, right? It's still in the news cycle, I'm assuming. I haven't looked today. But uh, when that wears off and she... I wonder if... Or if people, do they just move on to the next thing? Will she just be like, hey, I was... Like, in order for somebody like that to feel like this was all good, like really justified again. Like, okay, I was a champion for, you know, abused women who don't have a voice for themselves. I use my platform for good. Now, so many more women are going to be you know, checking the behavior of their abusive partner. And so I am a, you know, someday they should carve my face into Mount Rushmore. I mean, I suppose that's what the takeaway for her is. I think she can um, pretend like that's her intention, but I think her true intention all along was to hurt him. Like she felt hurt by him and now she's trying hard to hurt him. And the reality is kind of my assessment is that he's got kind of equal parts insecurity and narcissism. And so this would hurt him. I think she probably succeeded in it. I, I don't think that he should be hurt by it. Like I think, dude, just ignore all those texts. Let the news cycle go away. Uh, presumably you're happy with your new partner and your kid. Freaking ignore all that bull crap and just move forward. Go and make your next great piece of art. You know what I mean? Like that's what I would do if I was him. But I have a feeling that this might be hurting his feelings and he is caught up in all of the news stories. And so she probably succeeded in what she was trying to do. Well, good job, Sarah Brady. Yeah. Um, Hopefully we don't have to see too much more of it. Nope. Well, what'll be interesting too is if she actually cashes in on this. Like I said, she 
has gotten more famous from this scandal than she ever got from dating him or than she ever was prior. And so it'd be interesting to see where this goes from from here for her. Well, and there's a there really is an awareness of her own uh, what kind of fame or notoriety because that's she she says at some point about Jonah not getting waves at Hanalei. She right. was like, yeah, she said I don't I don't want him to get waves anymore based on people think that we're together. And I was thinking, people don't consider you Sarah Brady when right. they consider Jonah Hill. Like if somebody sees Jonah Hill paddling for a wave, even if it's a break, you surf all the time. Nobody's thinking, oh, that's Sarah's guy. I'm going to let him surf. They'll either be kind of starstruck because it's Jonah or somebody famous, or they won't, or whatever. It has nothing to do with you. The fact that you think that you are somehow changing people's minds as it relates to paddling, you know, snaking Jonah or not, is wildly, talk about narcissistic, I yeah. suppose. He was getting free access because based of her. on her yeah <laughs> somebody dm'd me two hours ago right before we were gonna record and said dude this jonah hill sarah brady's shit show is a minefield but i can't wait to hear you guys wade through it on the podcast i mean some of, it's some of the kookiest stuff i've ever seen and it reminds me that surfing is not cool anymore or too cool uh to be understood by the masses maybe uh and now that you have feminist groups lashing out at you cersei and beach grid and Chaz. wow what times we live in i mean it really is crazy it's funny <laughs> it because really is. I, I mean and i was getting uh you know dms and texts and all this like you must be in heaven about this right like first elo and now we got this and this one turned my stomach i was like i don't want you know i texted derek like let it the first cycle really start building up hope hoping it was going to go away because i didn't want to touch it and uh texted Derek and Derek's like, Hey, I guess we have to. So Derek took the first one. Right. And then it's kept getting more absurd. I mean, when the whole mainstream media started calling her a professional surfer, I thought there's a funny angle of like, this is just goofy. And then, yeah, just the whole, but yeah, it is, it's like ugly minefield everywhere. Cause I know this right here, the Committee for Equity and Women Serving, all that, they're going to go and say, you victim shamers from this, from having a conversation about it, yeah. from two cisgendered white males having a conversation about what constitutes abuse in a relationship, <laughs> we're like going to get marched straight out to the, to the guillotine for this. There's no, but honestly, oh, speaking of, have you watched, uh, what is it? Damn it. Dead. No. Dead Ringers. No. Okay. Start watching Dead Ringers. We Remember need the, a new show. Dead Ringers. On, it's on Amazon, I think. Anyway. But shows that address, I think, head-on, very difficult topics where people just talk about them. I love that. And that's what I hope this is, is, hey, man, my opinion may be totally wrong. Your opinion may be totally wrong. Maybe we're not allowed to speak on anything outside of our direct experience, but I don't know how to live in that way, nor under try to get to some kind of understanding about others in that way. Yeah. If I am, my assessment is wrong about Sarah Brady, I would love for her or she probably has a publicist by now for them to reach out and say, hey, look at man, we feel there's a misunderstanding. Yeah, she said something, not to keep going on and on about this, but she mentioned something in one of her 8,000 Instagram stories. It was somebody on a podcast, I think, talking negatively about her. Uh, and she said, 
if you basically the text below was if you don't know me shut up about me right you have nothing to say and i'm thinking i would love not to know you at all you were the <laughs> one who put eight thousand instagram stories up you were the one who is keying me in to every moment of your personal life and then you're saying if you don't know me you can't talk about me but right. I, I didn't go in your phone and like i didn't like the idiocy of that of saying shut your mouth you don't know me personally and then here's another picture of the sushi i'm eating right now for dinner with my schedule with another personal text that i'm putting making public like social media has rotted people's brains legitimately final question for you about this is do you feel do you like jonah hill more or less than prior to the scandal and do you like sarah brady more or less prior since prior I had zero impression of Sarah Brady other than dating Joni Hill before, and I think poorly of her now. I think it is in unless there's like criminal something happening, I think uh, dumping private exchanges publicly is never something that's a good idea. Like, and the thought that you're going to save people from abuse and what are I mean, you could if you really wanted to do that, you could have done that in a different way without dumping private text messages messages i think exactly what you said breakups are ugly if there was text exchanges i'm thankfully live before text for most of my breakups but if there was textual exchanges of my breakups none of them would be good i would come off as an ass yeah like that's what a, a breakup is messy i don't know yeah. the, the idea of conscious uncoupling remember yeah. Gwyneth paltrow and chris martin's conscious uncoupling that doesn't happen Breakups in their nature are nasty. Somebody did something bad. People like people don't break up because you know what? That was a great run. That was we had a lot of fun together. Both of us are wanting perfectly different things right now. Like heartbreak is heartbreak. And it's unfortunate. So I think poorly of Sarah, I think exactly the same as Jonah. I think Jonah publicly and getting to know him a little bit. He is who he is, and I, I think he's really, he's not putting on, uh, you know, this therapy stuff isn't public-facing fake stuff. Like, I think he really is trying, genuinely trying to be a better version of himself. I'm sure he would look back on this stuff and, you know, and he says in the text, too, like, he'll get beat up on by her, and, you know, I'm really going to try to put this into some kind of bigger context and whatever. Like, I think he's really, really, really trying to grow and learn. That doesn't excuse bad behavior uh, at all. But I think that, yeah, like, I don't know. I think Jonah is trying to be the best Jonah that he can. And Sarah seems like she's trying to be the worst Sarah that she can. I feel the same way, basically. I didn't really have an opinion about Sarah before. I knew nothing about her, essentially. And then I feel like this was poor form. So it it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. If If you're a guy... I mean, and you know that she did this. Would you be inclined to go on a date with Sarah Brady? No, but there's far more people who were are definitely inclined to go on a date with her now because she has 150,000 more Instagram followers than she had before this. You know what I mean? Like strictly is, for the celebrity angle. Or I mean, she keeps saying that she hopes, one of her many hopes of this whole thing was that Jonah would surround himself with feminist men. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so learn what that's really, one of her many hopes. That's one of the that's one of her, you know, my real hope. There's a lot of slides of my real hope. hope in this whole thing that Jonah would learn 
that he would, you know, apologize for past behavior by surrounding himself with true feminist men. And I was just, yeah, so maybe I guess there's a true feminist man fan who Sarah Brady, her feminist I, man prince in shining I, armor. I do hope that too for her. Yeah. Uh, my thought on Jonah though is, yeah, I it, this story kind of validates how I felt about him prior, essentially. Like that narcissistic slash, and by the way, insecure thing. I, this kind of rings true for me with him, but I accept him for, you know what I mean? Like it's not a deal breaker personality traits. People have flaws or they have character flaws or shortcomings, let's say, maybe not even flaws, shortcomings. And I see that and I feel sympathetic for it and accept it. And I still love his art, you know, <laughs> like I'm still going to go watch his next movie and I'm excited to see what he does next. And it's like, man, I hope that he sorts out that stuff that he's plagued by or working on or whatever it is, or that affected her negatively. And I hope that it doesn't affect the next person negatively moving on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, he's not the devil for being yeah. for bad behavior that he exhibited and moving on. I mean, one so. note, that's the crazy thing. One note for everything is Jonah has to be Harvey Weinstein who has to be Charles right. Manson, who has to be like that. There's no nuance anymore in bad behavior, like bad behavior has been cranked up to 11. All bad behavior is 11. And so every, it's just noise of bad behavior. Yeah. Like everybody just line them up, firing squad, mow them down. I mean, do people not look at like the French Revolution when everyone started getting their heads chopped off as like, oh, you know, it's kind of, it's because all whispering behind somebody's back became the same as wanting to depose the new government came, became the same as like all things led to the guillotine we are headed that way i mean we're there i don't know but i don't know how people i guess people have no understanding of history yeah no they don't uh well we've got you are you still good on time good sweet man because we've got a call that is worth discussing and offering advice on so let's uh give some love to our sponsor vayer watches v-a-e-r is how you spell it vayerwatches.com i have a fair story oh do you really let's hear it had my veyer, so was down in Cabo surfing. Stayed off the grid in Cabo. Off the grid entirely. Our place didn't even have air conditioning. Uh, I think it was I solar power. That. Yeah. Uh, so one night, sleeping, woke up, the fan was off. And I thought, uh-oh, power's out somehow. It's not on the grid. It was solar powered. So what do you do when it's solar powered and the power goes out, right? I looked at my veyer watch, glowing brightly, ticking right along. Uh, could tell the time. So basically could time how long the bad food or the food was going to go bad in the fridge. Had an idea about that. But as I was thinking though, everything shut down. And when everything was shut down, you know, couldn't charge a computer, couldn't charge a phone. So all this stuff ostensibly is going away. Fairwatch doesn't need any of that. Fairwatch ticking right along. It's solar doesn't break. That's yep. the, so I was thinking it was the only thing, literally the only thing that was working in that whole house was my Fairwatch. Love it. Mm-hmm. That's why I, in the modern age, the little mechanical things like that, that are just out, will outlast everything else. And there's something about the quality of the construction and the build that kind of supports that too. It just feels kind of substantial and timeless, you know? It, it felt good. It felt good to know that, yeah. I'd I'm a fan. Anything could break right now except for my watch. And You're right, though. That loom is bright because I'll bright. catch. I don't wear my watch when I sleep, but I have it next to me oftentimes. And it's like it will light up the night, you know, even though 
it hasn't uh, been sunny for hours, it's still working. So I, I surf with mine every session. It's always nice to time a session, I think, to actually see. I'll have vague ideas. Like, oftentimes I won't surf with a watch here, but there I did, just it was easy. And, uh, yeah, to be able to think, oh, I actually surfed, you know, 45 minutes or whatever it was. Yeah. Well, VayerWatches.com will save you 15% with promo code SPLENDOR15 on VayerWatches.com. Free U.S. free U.S. shipping, easy returns, waterproof warranty, crazy good reviews. Go check them out. Get whatever you need. Give a gift of a Vayer watch to somebody. Um, this call comes in. Um, well, let's just address it. I'll let you hear it. This is for the grit. Dan, the weatherman here. And I think there's a big topic that just about everyone's missed for the past couple months, and that is the corporatization of surf forecasting. So Magic Seaweed was this app made out of happiness and magic, and recently they were bought by Surfline, which is clearly powered by the Tears of Orphan. So I was curious if you guys use any other apps, or are we just kind of stuck with Surfline forever? Let me know and keep work. Keep work. I like keep work. Is It's getting the better other, and better. The, the other one from the email just said work, work fellas. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, here's the thing, right? Let's just be honest. Let's just be frank and honest. If you are a lazy man or woman, lazy person, then you just surfline, right? The other day, clicked on surfline. I think it was first day back from Mex. I was had heard there was no swell in the water. I clicked on surfline. I saw the three to four, right? I don't think I bothered looking at the cam. I just saw and I hurried up, grabbed my board, went down. It was zero to one right <laughs> their their calls can be so rotten so if that's what you're relying on all for it great lazy you're a lazy person just know you are lazy if you actually want to forecast then you use your windy you use your tide chart you need to curate like three or four different sites uh and you can actually figure out you know your break how that works with swell direction blah 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 i'm never going to be that surfer i'm always going to be the lazy surfer i will either surf line or not surf line but i'm never going to figure out the my windy my right. whatever tide app my swell app and my whatever other app and then how that is going to feed into the bathymetry and direction of my favorite wave um the ultimate lazy move is to just not check anything at all just go surf <laughs> i mean essentially right yeah um I don't, so the idea, the conversation about corporatization is an interesting conversation in general, right? Whether it's a surfboard brand or a clothing, surf clothing brand or the magazines and what's happened there. But the corporatization of surf forecasting doesn't really bother me. Like, I don't really see the downside here. Well, see, the downside is, I'll tell you, do you want me to explain the downside conspiratorially, Please. David? Sure. Yeah. Uh, They're collecting data. Is that no, it's is that I live close by the beach. You live relatively close by the beach, right? Yes. Yeah. What if, uh, say, Surfline did some deal with, let's say, San Clemente, and San Clemente was really thinking, you know, trestles we like and stuff, but we want to get people really to be surfing D Street a lot more, uh, or something, right? Yeah. Uh, and so Surfline says, great, we'll send people there, right? So this is based on a corporate interest, not on, you know, they've juice the forecast there a little bit, et cetera, et cetera, what you want to do. Like, again, I think it's a, the person who uses Surfline is lazy, so they get what they deserve. Uh, you get a lazy 
because I don't think Surfline is bad regionally, right? Like I can know that maybe there's swell hitting three to four foot ish somewhere in North County, San Diego. Is that at my break? Absolutely not. Right. Or where I like to surf. So I'm lazy, whatever three. I know there's some swell in the water maybe. And if I care to go find where it's better then if I have any kind of sense at all, I'll go find where it's better. But yeah, the, the, for somebody traveling though, a long distance to surf, I could see how corporatization of it would, like if they could be tipping the scale this way or that way, not based on actual quality, but based on for, for commercial reasons. I think two things you mentioned resonate, but I think for different reasons for me, I think that the corporatization actually makes the product better in this case. Like surf forecasting has gotten better with money. And so I think that the product that they are delivering, which isn't their real product, by the way, uh, the, the product of forecasts and um, cameras are actually better now than they've ever been before, even though they're still wrong oftentimes. But I think that where the slippery slope isn't San Clemente that's going to direct you to a certain surf spot, it's you using their website, the app on their phone, then you got the app on your Apple Watch, and them collecting all of that data to then predict your movements and behaviors and utilize it maybe for their own nefarious deeds like Facebook or something, or maybe not even nefarious, maybe just to sell them to you know, uh, advertisers in your example, it was San Clemente, but it might be whatever Coca-Cola or something like that. So, so I could see, I don't think they're doing that currently, but I could see them leveraging the data. And so I'm sure they are. I'm sure they're sucking data off everyone. Well, they're, they're collecting it. The question is what, to what interest are they using it for? So when I said the product isn't that the product isn't the forecast, you are the product in that scenario, you know? And you're unaware of it and you think you're using the service for this, but you're in fact what they are monetizing. Um, So I could see that. I could see it all going down that path. But again, that's happening in every aspect of our life. So I'm not giving it a free pass, but I'm just acknowledging that if you want the service of the forecast, which has gotten better via the money that's spent on it or infused into it, then there is a cost and you are the cost, essentially. Your data is the cost. There we go. So I think it's okay. I'm not offended by the corporatization. And like like you said, go ahead and get, log on to Noah. Go ahead and log on to Wendy and get all of the raw information. And you'll probably be better and smarter for it if you're designing your own forecasting. I mean, my goodness, if that's if you have the time, energy, wherewithal to do that, I mean, that's, to me, it's not like it's Surfline or nothing. It's Surfline or actually doing real work. Yeah. Well, I was also thinking, I live further from the beach than you do. But even you can't see the waves from your house. No. So you, if you're not relying on any of that technology, you have to get in your car and go check the waves. Then I was thinking, man, it'd be nice if we had somebody to give us a real-time report from the actual beach. Even if you live three minutes away, I don't want to waste those three minutes. And then I thought, there's homeless people at every beach in Southern California. I see a job opportunity here for those homeless people. Give them a cell phone, man. Give, give them, them a, a cell phone. phone. Put the they, number. They post probably the number. already have cell phones. And just like, just think, they could just be sitting there answering all day long. Just yeah, it's I don't know, it looks okay. I, I mean, honestly, just send me a video when right when you wake up, a photo or a video with a quick three line explanation of what the waves are doing. 
the th- this is a genius idea because the problem with a surfline cam is it's always the surfline cam is as wrong as the surfline forecast. However, they put the, not all of them, but many of them. What they're sending back via the wave, via their image, is undecipherable. Like I don't know. It doesn't look like it. Just looks weird. I don't know if it's like the high vantage they use or what it is. It never looks right. I need to be kind of on the beach. Yeah, the hobo report comes from yeah. sea level. I mean, this is it. Hobo Report is genius. The Hobo Report, it's a new business. So what does a cell phone cost? 60 bucks a month or something? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think we get burners for like 40. But is it going to send high quality imagery? No. Okay. So let's just say 60 bucks a month for the Hobo Report from one individual hobo. Yeah. Uh, You can share that report with 12 of your friends and charge them five bucks a month each for it. Yep. Cover your cost. Boom. Done and dusted. How How much does the hobo get? A free cell phone. Oh, the hobo's doing this for free? No, he's got a cell phone. That's a <laughs> that's a high ticket item with a monthly service that he can now use. That's his payment. I mean, fine. If you want to pay the hobo additionally, then we can work that into the cost. Maybe we now need eighteen friends. Instead yeah, of 12. I, I think I think we bring the I think we bring the hobo in. I think this solves homelessness in in Southern California at least. Around, I think around the beach community is it good? Yeah, we make the hobo wait partner. He's an art, entrepreneur. Uh, but he has to live on the beach. That's a problem. So he's you gonna don't be... want to solve homelessness because it then undermines we... your entire business. That's true. But except for maybe the because I don't need a beach report. I mean, is the hobo doing it three times a day? Is he doing morning, noon, and night? Uh, I just was thinking, give me a morning report. I could take it from there. Really? But I'm gonna say I want my hobo report because sometimes I want to know is the wind on it or and I can see the wind here. But what's the wind actually doing to the wave there, right? Mm, I need yeah. I need to see my noon hobo report. Yeah, we might need a network of hobos. Yeah, I mean, we definitely <laughs> do. Um, I'm thinking turn the hobo report into an Instagram account and that yeah. can become a whole, you could be an influencer at that point because not only are you providing a service, but you're also giving jobs to homeless people. So that becomes something that people want to support and follow and get updates on. So, and then you can monetize the Instagram account as well. I mean, Hobo Report is genius. Rich and famous off Hobo. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. Love it. Boom. In. Surf equality, don't at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, let's take a moment to cut to commercial break. Oh, I've got good news for you about commercial breaks. What? LinkedIn is coming back for a year. Sweet. I know. Love it. They I love took that a... Eric Logan still has not changed as CEO on LinkedIn. Oh, he hasn't? I mean, you'd think, right? If you're a sensible business person, yeah. if you're a corporate executive, that you might change your LinkedIn to reflect the reality before you changed your Instagram. But he changed his Instagram and let us LinkedIn sit with That's the funny. CEO of the World Surfing. Well, LinkedIn.com slash surf... Um, they had a month or two or three away from us without being partnered. And I think they saw the error of their ways. So they're back on, I think not this week, but maybe, uh, mid month. I think they come back. I mean, maybe they knew that world surf league is going to have a lot of job openings, including the chief executive position, or they might've caught wind of our hobo idea and they saw their opportunities right there. Boom. So yeah, so they'll be back. But, uh, anyways, let's go to commercial break and then we'll be back with barrel or not. Hi. 
hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Chaz, we're back from commercial break. Good one. Um, are you on threads? No. It's funny. To, I mean, again, talking about social media destroying your brain, uh, I understand that we have a duty to be on social media, you and I, David Lee. There's news there that we have to report. True. It's a great way to uh, portal to engage with beautiful, dear friends listeners, etc. Like it's an important tool in that way. But I feel I don't have more time or energy. I don't need to be broadcasting my thoughts on threads. I already I broadcast them here. I have Beach Grit. I don't need another platform for people to know what I think about something. So I am not on threads. I will not be getting on threads. If Instagram didn't have the DM component or way to connect with other people, I would get off Instagram. I would be off social media entirely, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I don't understand what the value of threads is as opposed to the mediums we already use. I mean, I don't know how, yeah, like a, a, it doesn't make any, like a safe space Twitter. I suppose is that people are so mad that Twitter's gone Elon that they need a, a safe space Twitter. I, I don't, I don't get the kick. I don't get it either, and I'm surprised to see how successful it's been. I just thought when Zuck was announcing it, I'm like, okay, I get that you're going toe-to-toe with Elon. That makes sense to me, but we don't need another social media platform right now. We have plenty of ways to communicate with one another. For people to praise Zuck, too, is like, oh, he made a better, a better, safer Twitter. He made the Twitter we all want. Zuck is an evil, evil, evil person. Zuck literally helped destroy generations of children's brains with Facebook, with Instagram, with everything. There will be a reckoning. It's funny. I was thinking about this just last night, David Lee Scales, thinking about billionaires. 
You've seen Zuck all jacked now doing his jujitsu training. Of course, Jeff Bezos is jacked to the nines. Oh, and the show, Dead Ringers, is basically about rich people wanting to live forever. Uh, and so I was thinking, not that I can't wait to die, but I don't want to live forever. Uh, uh, and, and thinking, what would possess me to want to live forever? And then I thought, oh, I know why rich people want to live forever. They have done such evil to be rich. The amount of evil they have done to be the richest people in the world, to be billion upon billion, you're either, you know, polluting the world to death, you are whatever. So I think you're scared about the final judgment. So in order, you're just going to kick that ball down the can down the street forever if you can. You will never, I will, if I live forever, there will be no final judgment for me. Fascinating. Yeah. Don't That's a biblical take on it. I mean, I think so. I think even, even the most atheistic, you don't know. Like, yeah. if there's a chance, I mean, don't you just want to kick that can if you could, if you're a billionaire? I, yeah, I guess forever. so. I mean, the other thing is that they're just living such a luxurious life that, of course, you want to relish in it as long as you can. I think that I think their lives are mostly surrounded by paranoia. It's those guys building doomsday bunkers and stuff like that, right? Yeah. It's like a fear. I think it's a oozing fear that it's all going to go away, that something bad's going to happen, knowing that they've done bad, that all of it is just I think it's not like I'm on my super yacht having fun. Yeah. I think it is terrifying. Well, the other insane thing that you touched on was the hundred million people signing up and sucking at the teat of Zuck, thinking that he's gifting them this safe space as an alternative to Twitter. Like this is just a benevolent gift for you guys. No, he is the capitalist among capitalists. He is completely you again, you are the product and you are getting the worst deal of anyone's life. And he's the one raping you. Elon Musk for all his ills, did not create social media. He accidentally bought a social media company and is doing a pretty damn good job, as far as I can tell, of driving it into the ground. Uh, Zuck was the one who made all this, who made people slaves, who made this the Sarah Brady phenomenon of people so addicted to this thing that it is rotting their brains. That's what Zuck did. That's, and, what he, that's his and, job. And simultaneously praising him for rotting their brains. It's insane. And it saying, insane. thank you, please give me more. Well, Zuck, please, thank you. Yeah, Zuck to me, yeah, crazy. I'm never getting on threads. It's totally crazy. Well, the, the other craziest thing about it to me is I'm on Instagram and there's people posting screenshots of their threads post on Instagram. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> now, like if it's all, if you're just going to put it here, then why are you over there? Wouldn't you just write that here? But no, you have to. I already follow you on three different social medias, and now I have to see all three of them in one feed. It's insane. I mean, and again, none of that takes no time. Like maybe no, people who are tons. really adept at it uh, can do it in thirty seconds. But the, the like the chunks of day, writing a thread, screenshotting the thread, going over to your Instagram account, uploading it, making a comment there. You know that. The, with blazing fingers, that takes like, takes like 30 seconds to a minute. And then commenting and engaging with everybody who chimes in on various platforms along the way, you're now looking at 10 to 20 minutes. It's on that one post. Yeah. 
wild. Yeah, it's insane. All right. Well, hey, we got Barrel and Awe, as we always do. It is, of course, brought to you by BuellSurf.com. BuellGrit25 is the promo code to save you 25%. We're giving away a wetsuit at the end of the month for pros in the wild, so look forward to that. First, Barrel and Awe comes from a caller. Hey, great guys. I've got a question, or uh, maybe a barrel or not. And that is naming your kid or giving your kid a Hawaiian name if you're not Hawaiian. Uh, I think since uh, since uh, Kai Lenny got popular, I've heard so many Kai names. Same thing with Koa. I hear Koa, Koa, Koa. But none of them are actually Hawaiian. It could be in reference to the Hawaiian culture. You like that name, that's fine. But if you're not Hawaiian, you're just some, like, Tasty white schlum from nowhere. Maybe you serve, maybe you don't. I mean, should you give your kid that Hawaiian name if they have no Hawaiian blood whatsoever? Giving your kid a Hawaiian name. This is tough, dicey, spotty. Well, no other culture has been affected by this like the Hawaiians have. Like, you don't hear like stereotypical Chinese names being given to white White kids kids. or uh, Native American names given to Asian kids or whatever it is. You know what I mean? So really the barrel or not here though, is let's be honest. It's giving your, giving a Hawaiian name to a white kid is specifically. It's usually the white people that are appropriating for sure. (laughs) (laughs) For Uh, sure. I don't know a lot of, yeah. Hispanic families that are naming their kid. Chemo. Yeah, exactly. Kimo Hernandez. Exactly. Uh, I'm going to go, oddly, <laughs> I'm going to go barrel. I'm going to go barrel. It is very dangerous, though all things equal, Kolohe Andino is one of my favorite surf names ever. Little Rascal in Hawaiian, for those who don't know, Kolohe Andino. It's a great name, is it not? It's a good name. If I say no barrel, Kolohe Andino, one of my favorite surf names, doesn't exist. So I have to go barrel. I have to you think... You can't choose the outlier as the definition of the rule. But, I mean, okay, I know a lot of koas. I know a lot of... Uh, I know a lot of... I mean, what's better? I'm going to say... Is it better to give your child a your white child a Hawaiian name or name him Taj? Hawaiian child a white name or no, name no. that No no your white your white child a Hawaiian oh, name. Okay. Is it better? Or Taj. Would Koa Smith should it be Koa Smith or Taj Smith? I like Taj better. You like you prefer Taj like the It's crazy that Taj Burrow was that influential. That there is amongst the, what, they're probably now 18, 19, uh, on down. Probably, it's probably like 15 to 21 or something. A s- part of a generation yeah. named Taj yeah. because of Taj Burrow exclusively. It was just unique enough. You know what I mean? Like there weren't, there weren't so many other Tajs. Like, um, I don't know, Kelly... You, there's too many Kellys at this point, like you wouldn't want to do, but Taj was just unique enough to where you felt like you were the only one doing it. I know, but, but to nod, a nod to Taj Burrow 
as yeah. Taj Barot, you were so influential upon my life that I am naming my child after you. Yeah. It's I crazy. mean, I like the name too, but well, also, well, but anyway, I'm going to go for a barrel. I think there's enough. It's real awkward if it's like the sort of new transplant family with money to like if Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan named their son. Makua. Yeah, like Makua, Makua Zuckerberg. Then clearly, you know, that is awful. But then again, anything Mark Zuckerberg does is awful. But like a recent transplant rich family to the islands naming your kid, whatever, that seems like appropriation. Uh, everything else seems like appreciation, I'm going to say. Interesting. So I say nah barrel. And the reason why is the only victim here is your kid, essentially, and yourselves. Like I'm not offended for the Hawaiian people on the appropriation kind of aspect of it. It's just if you give a kid a name that is so foreign to their existence in the world, it's only going to it's only going to hinder their upbringing. What if they live and make you look stupid too? Beachside Southern California because you could say ostensibly it's happened enough there's not going to be like, you know, you as I, I mean it depends on how Hawaiian here, let's be honest. Like if you name your kid Kamehameha Smith. Right. I like that though. Kamehameha's got a little bit of ring, Cam. Uh, you know, but I'm gonna say the the standards now have been accepted into the canon of Beach America, and I'll say that those are Koa. I guess it's mostly Koa. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Koa is acceptable. All other names off the table. <laughs> all right, well, we'll call that a split. I'm going now. Nah, you're going yeah. yeah. Um, the next call actually comes from longtime contributor Jay Martinez. Oh, David Lee and Chaz, this is Jay Martinez calling from the Space Coast. Uh, I got a barrel or not. First off, um, you guys kind of led me astray with a trust in us about the uh, board short washing frequency. I just think your response of, like, never washing them was kind of a Cali-centric type of point of view. Um, us Floridians were wearing board shorts all day, every day, free-balling. And you wear it from start to finish in a day. What, what am I going to do? Like, my laundry situation is a conundrum. I don't know what to do about that. But uh, this is the barrel or not. Me and my buddy are uh, pulling a strike mission to an undisclosed location. We book the window and aisle seat on all these flights that we're on together. So is this, like, kind of a power move or what? Is, like, two bros, like, independently booking tickets? and uh getting the window in aisle what do you guys think peace i mean yes let's be honest if you can why not better is aisle and aisle across from each other i don't know who wants the window to be honest and you're like jammed yes you can lean up against it to snooze but that's the only thing the window and you could peek out at various towns that you fly over but uh that is a power move uh it's also a selfish move, uh, which, and where I can in society, I like to tamp down the selfishness because somebody's ending up in that middle seat. Like flights do not, long gone are the days, I think. How many flights have you been on lately, David Lee? You've been on a few? A few. Was the, was the airplane jammed to the gills? Yes. Every time now. The, the, the day and age of, I think, flying with, Empty seats is over. The airlines, both through technology or cheapness or whatever, 
rudeness have gotten such that every seat will be filled. So I think that back in the day, if you say, hey, we can book the aisle and the window, and then nobody will want that one single seat. And so we'll ostensibly have a row to ourselves. That happened 10 years ago. That doesn't happen anymore. So you're forcing somebody in between you, which to me, that seems, yes, you and your buddy are comfortable. Uh, You're making somebody else uncomfortable. And so one of you should take the hit because your discomfort in that middle seat will be half as much as that other person because you at least will be sitting next to somebody you know. And yes, it's a little more uncomfortable. But let's be honest, the middle seat is only a tiny bit less comfortable than the window seat. Totally. Well, the window seat, you get to rest your head up against if you need to take a nap. That is the only benefit of the window seat. But you you already said it, and I don't know if we've ever discussed this on air before, but going aisle and aisle is the move. That's the that's the move. Because then you're leaving two on each side so yeah. people can still sit like aisle and aisle. If you if you have that much flexibility in picking seats, aisle and aisle across from each other is the only thing to do. Even with your romantic partner, Doesn't that's matter. still great. You it's have plenty perfect. of you can talk still, you're close enough to absolutely communicate, and you have just enough space, and you have access to the bathroom anytime you want it without asking it's, anybody I mean, to move. That is, the, that is the power move that doesn't also put your fellow traveler out. Exactly. Boom. Solved that one. All right. Final barrel or not comes from the photo that uh, Surf Equality posted of me sipping on a drink using straws. Oh. As a male. Uh, as a male. I think it's a, a lot of females use straws if they're wearing lipstick or whatever. I think it helps protect, but using, using straws. I think what is a crazy... Something love, crazy, stupid love, mm. where Ryan Gosling in the news now for his turn as Ken, uh, led a recently broken up with his wife, uh, what's his name from the office? Steve, Steve Carell. S- Steve Carell on a romantic journey, how to get babes basically, and told him directly, you don't drink from a straw, you look like you're sucking on a tiny schwanz, I think <laughs> is the, is the exact quote, uh, and I've thought about that and so I've gone away from straws, but at some point in my life, I thought, you know, Ryan Reynolds is wrong there. I'm not going to let Ryan Reynolds dictate my entire style based on what he told Steve Carell in a movie from 15 years ago. I think the straw is totally drink dependent and specific. Mm. Uh, that little cocktail straw, for example, if you have a nice vodka soda, let's say, uh, you don't start drinking with that straw, right? You hold it off to the side. You drink, drink, drink. At some point, though, you're going to get down enough in the drink where you can't get it anymore. And just a little straw will help, right? Helps you get the dregs. Yep. And I think the same will go for, ah, uh, what else? Like your daiquiri, I would imagine, at some point, you know, like that straw was essential to the daiquiri. Yeah, it's a blended frozen drink. You, I mean, how else? Yeah, you can get a big mustache every time. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, so I will say a drinking with a straw, 100% drink specific. Uh, if it is not a blended drink, you never start with the straw, but keep the straw around in order to get to the bottom. Don't ask for a straw. You don't want to pollute the earth unnecessarily. But if that straw is coming and it's there, don't neglect the straw just because you think you're sucking on a tiny schwanz. <laughs> It's a complicated straw policy. Uh, you know why I don't use straws? Because you're an environmentalist. I like turtles. 
don't want those little guys choking on un- a plastic unnecessarily. Definitely. They're Definitely. already dealing with the six pack holders, you know, the little plastic rings. I mean, they've got enough to deal with. I do with not you. infect them with straws. I'm with you a thousand percent. Like the straws are a gross pollutant that we don't need. If we could get rid of straws as society all in, go to metal straws only for your daiquiri, et cetera, et cetera. A hundred percent. I'm right with you. There. I'm just saying if the straw comes and it's already there, and you forgot to say, please, no straw, please. Don't not use the straw there just you because you're trying to prove a point of your manhood. Or trying to listen to Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we solved that one. Um, well, man, gargantuan show today. Two hours, 12 minutes, clocking in. Monster show. Monster show. Needed it. But yeah, thank you so much to drinkag1.com slash surf. Thank you so much to veyerwatches.com, promo code SPLENDOR15, and also buellsurf.com promo code buellgrit25 anything else you need to share or point people to i think that's it happy to be back in a monster yeah Yeah. all right well great to see you again and we'll be back next week but no i think we're gonna have a special guest next week too but we'll wait and reveal that later all right until then chez bon voyage And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.